This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Galatians chapter 4, verse number... We're going to start in verse number 15. Actually, let's back up a little bit. Um, Verse number 8. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 8. Kind of a bittersweet day today, too, because we finished up the book of Ephesians, and it's just like... Wow, like I know it took us an hour, a year and a half to get there, but we finally finished it up, and it's just like, wow, this is exciting. So, uh, for those of you that have uh, asked with eager anticipation, what's next? Uh, we have uh, two weeks of preparing for revival, and I hope you plan on being a part of our fall revival services. Uh, again, every night it's not going to be a long, drawn out service. We're going to spend time in corporate prayer together, uh, we're going to spend time uh, with a simple Bible message with an application, uh, and that's it. And we're going to take a look at ourselves uh, and our own hearts and find out what it means to have revival. Uh, guys, uh, we're having Saturday morning revival prayer meetings. If you're able to come Saturday morning, 7 a.m. for the next two weeks, I uh, greatly appreciate that. We had a, a group of 15 guys or so yesterday that got together and prayed for one thing, that God would bring revival to our church. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. So next two weeks, we're going to be taking a look at uh, what it means to have revival uh, and how we can prepare our hearts for revival. Then after that, we're going to be taking a look at uh, probably, I would say, eight to 10-week uh, series on suffering and the sovereignty of God uh, and how suffering is part of the Christian life and how we can... Um, how we can put together in our minds and, and meld together the idea that uh, suffering is part of the Christian life, but God is still at the same time sovereign and still in charge. Uh, sometimes people see those as two things that don't add up, but they actually fit perfectly together, uh, through which we'll find through multiple passages of Scripture in the Bible. So, uh, And then uh, that'll lead us right up to, uh, guys, this is crazy. That leads us right into like Thanksgiving, Christmas time frame, uh, and then we're going to kick off a brand new series uh, at the beginning of the year next year. Uh, I don't know if it freaks you out, but it freaks me out. This year's almost over. Uh, and so it's, it's just gone so fast. Uh, but it's been awesome to see what God's done in our church family. So uh, Galatians chapter 4, uh, we're going to start in verse number 8 tonight. Again, quick recap. I know we do this every week, but for, for people who might have missed a little bit or might be new to the book of Galatians, um, the uh, Paul is writing to a group of churches who have muddied the water when it comes to the gospel. Gospel, very simple. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind. Uh, They've added additional uh, requirements on top of that, circumcision, feast days, uh, Jewish traditions, Jewish customs, things along those lines. Uh, And Paul says, no, stop. We have to get back to see that this is only Jesus and Jesus alone. Uh, The gospel is simply faith and repentance in Christ uh, and that's the only thing that saves us. And so uh, he writes this, again, very uh, very stern warning that he gives uh, to the churches at Galatia uh, here. Uh, and so we find ourselves in uh, chapter number four, verse number eight. Howbeit then when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that you've known God, or rather are known of God, how you turn again the weak and the beggarly elements, whereunto you desire again to be in bondage. You, before you got saved, you were a slave to the world, but you've now chosen to be a slave to religion after you've been set free, saying, I don't understand it. Verse 10, you observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I bestowed upon you my labor in vain. 
Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I as ye are. You have not injured me at all. You know how through my infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first, and my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. You guys received me warmly. You wanted to hear what I had to say, and you received me as a messenger from God, and you received me just as Christ himself. You received it just as if it was Jesus himself with you speaking. Verse 15, where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it's good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, not only when I'm present with you. I have entitled tonight's message, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. For those of you that don't know, that's a, a play on a, a book by Dale Carnegie by, called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, this is called How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. Uh, Paul says here, hey, have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? In verse number um, 15 here, he says, he says, where is this blessedness? Where is this joy that we had before? And he goes on to say, he said, you would, if it had been possible, you'd have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. We don't really know exactly what Paul meant by that, but the churches at Galatia certainly would have understood this uh, phrase that he used here. Some people have surmised that Paul had problems with his eyesight or had a, a condition that caused a runniness of his eyes. And some people have even surmised that this was Paul's thorn in the flesh that he had was a, a physical ailment. We don't know any of that. So to read into this text would just be a conjecture and we're not gonna spend any time doing that. But he said here, you would have given everything for me. You had such joy. We had such love with one another. Uh, we had such a good relationship that there's nothing that you would have held back from me because you loved me so much. But he says in verse number 16, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You see, when it comes to the gospel, the gospel is the unifying message of the church. Any true church will rally around the gospel message. I'm thankful to hear that uh, sitting at a table uh, having lunch, you could hear a couple of other folks talking about the gospel. Uh, that means that nobody has the corner on the truth of the gospel. It's in God's word. And any Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church will be happy uh, to share the truth of how people can know uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of their own lives and how they can know for sure that their sins are forgiven and they're on their way to heaven. This is a message that we can gather together with Christians uh, that might call themselves by different names. And if we all agree that Jesus Christ is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Savior of mankind, we have common ground that we can stand on. We took a look at this morning from the book of Ephesians, how we have peace together with one another because we're unified by a common bond, and that bond is the gospel. You take the gospel out of this church, and we have nothing to rally around any longer. This is unfortunately why we see many churches uh, rallying around social causes these days. Uh, they want to uh, stop homelessness or they want to stop uh, uh, racial inequality in America and they want to uh, fix gender inequality and things along those lines. They want to uh, do all types of social work that don't really have any tie back to the gospel. But if we come back to the gospel, all the other things will work themselves out. And there's only one institution that God created that is in charge of the stewardship of the gospel, and that's the local church. And if we are not about the gospel, nobody else will be. 
There will be other groups who take care of, of things like homelessness. And again, we should do our best to try to meet the needs of people in our community. Um, there are other people who will help with drug addiction. There are government programs for that. There's not a government program for the gospel. There's just not. Why? Because it's our responsibility. And so we must take great care and concern that we always keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is the gospel. It's, it's the only hope that we have. It's what draws us together. This is why we can uh, be unified together despite our different backgrounds or cultural upbringings or where you grew up or where I grew up or how old you are versus how old I am versus the average age of our congregation. None of those things matter because it's all about the gospel. That's the unifying thing that we have. But it's also important to understand while this is a unifying message for the church, for us, it's a divisive message for the world. Most people, when you ask them, do you think it's important to share your faith? I think most Christians would say, I believe it's important to share my faith. When you ask most Christians, do you share your faith? Most people would say that they probably don't share it as much as they should or even at all. And generally when you ask people, why don't you share your faith? The number one reason people give for not sharing their faith is, help me with it, fear, fear, fear of rejection. I feel like somebody's gonna reject me. And that's, that's understandable. Um, it's a common fear that people have of the rejection when they present the gospel. Let me just tell you this, you will not bat a thousand, guaranteed. Uh, you would be doing outstanding if you batted 333, right? Uh, that would be just killing it. There's no magic ratio uh, for that, but I can tell you this, the more you share the gospel, the more you'll have opportunity to see people saved. Simple as that. So, uh, I completely lost my train of thought. Oh, divisive. Most people, when they think of, I'm afraid that people will reject me, they never get far enough into thinking of the presentation of the gospel to think about how the other person will receive it. Think about it this way. You're gonna sit across the table from another person that you may or may not know. And I've generally found that for me personally, this is just me, it's harder to share the gospel with somebody that you know than with a complete and total stranger. I can sit across the table from another guy who doesn't, who I never met in my entire life and say, here's what the Bible says. If you don't like it, tough. I got nothing else for you. That's easy. Sit across the table from a family member that you maybe have to sit down and have meals with at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Sit across the, the, the table from a coworker that you're gonna see every single day for the rest of your uh, time of employment. A little bit more difficult. Most people generally never get to think through, I'm gonna sit across the table from this person and tell them, everything that they've believed their entire life is untrue. And I'm gonna show you the real way. What you're doing is wrong. You've been wrong your whole life. You've been wrong since birth. And because you are so super duper wrong, God will pour out his wrath and judgment upon you for all of eternity in a place called hell and you deserve it. That's a hard message to, to give to somebody. And I can imagine it's a hard message to receive. And that makes it an, an offensive message. It's a divisive message. And so the world doesn't want to hear what we have to say. The, the world would, would say, some people that are kind would say, I'm glad you found something that works for you. That's not really for me. I'm glad you got your thing going on, but that's not my thing. So God bless you. Thank you so much. It's divisive though. Some people say, I flat out, I don't want to hear it. Uh, there are, are people who are, have even made it their life's work to be enemies of the gospel. When I think of, of atheists uh, who have committed their entire life 
to the fact of fighting against something that they claim does not exist. It doesn't seem to make sense to me. It's like, I'm going to have a crusade against the, the tooth fairy, you know? I'm going to build my life against the fact of, of running people down that believe in the tooth fairy and, and doing everything I can to prove that the tooth fairy is not real. It just doesn't make sense because Romans chapter 1 tells us that God's revealed himself to all people and everyone knows that there is a God. And so the gospel divisive, the gospel uh, causes problems but doctrine unites, but it also divides. This is to be expected. Did the kid just leave crying because I said I'm talking about the tooth fairy? That would be terrible. That's awful. I'm a terrible human being. I feel really bad now. Um, doctrine unites, but it also divides. I know your pastor's a terrible human being. I apologize. Here's the thing about doctrine. Doctrine unites, but it also divides. Um, this is to be expected. If every, this is also important to understand. If everybody were on the same page worldwide about what we believe about the Bible, everybody, we probably don't have the right uh, message. Jesus said our message will be divisive. Jesus said this. He says, you say peace, peace, but I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. It's gonna be divisive. Uh, doctrine will cause problems. It will cause people to leave churches. There have been people who've left who we call it before because they didn't agree with our doctrine. In cases like that, I think it's actually a really good thing. If you don't believe what we believe about the Bible, then you should find a church that believes what you believe about the Bible. Uh, if you uh, believe something different than we do, you need to find a church that, that closely identifies with what you believe about the Bible because we're not gonna compromise our doctrine, that's for sure. And so division under doctrine is to be expected. It's also necessary. Um, we've never tried to sugarcoat what we believe. We've never tried to uh, be crafty and disguise certain things about what our church believes, what we think. Our church uh, doctrinal statement is on our website. Uh, if you want to be a member of who we call a Baptist church, there's no uh, question as far as what we believe because I'm going to give you a 28-page document. It's our church constitution and bylaws and our doctrinal statement. You can read everything under the sun that you ever wanted to know about what we believe as a church. We're not trying to be secretive. For me personally, this is just a, a personal um, pet peeve of mine, I guess I could say. I don't want to clarify that before I say it. When churches um, obscure the name of the church to hide what they really believe, I believe that's disingenuous. Say, for example, we want to be who we call a Baptist church, but we don't want to be, we don't want people to, to think that we're Baptist, so we'll call ourselves who we call a church instead. We're still Baptist, but we'll call ourselves who we call a church just so that people don't automatically think we're Baptist. They're being disingenuous. Uh, if you're uh, First Pentecostal of Honolulu and you call yourself the River Church, you're being disingenuous as far as who you really are, and it's, it's um, dishonest, in my opinion. I believe the word Baptist means something. It means people who are biblicists. Uh, the name Baptist historically has been a people of the book, uh, and I believe it's important to tell people what that means. There have been people before who said, oh, I'll never attend a, a Baptist church. Do you even know what a Baptist church believes in? Most of them don't. It's just an education issue. But if you come down to the point where you don't believe the Bible is God's holy word, you don't believe that the Bible is God's infallible word, you don't believe that we should be guided by the practices of the Bible, then this is probably not the right place for you. Simple as that. And if it causes you to leave, that's actually a good thing. Because the church is made up of people who are unified behind something. It's necessary. It's important. Doctrine is the glue that holds the church together. 
met with a man when we had first moved to, to Honolulu. He was uh, pastoring a non-denominational church. Um, and so I, we went to, to lunch and uh, had a lot of questions for him. He had planted a church here, had a lot of questions about church planning and stuff like that. Um, and I began to ask questions about uh, basically doctrine. You're non-denominational, what does that mean? It, basically, we just believe the Bible. <laughs> yeah, everybody says that. Um, what do you really believe about this? I said, do you believe that people can lose their salvation? He goes, well, I believe that it's possible for people to lose their salvation. But there's people in my church that don't believe uh, that, that they can lose their salvation. They believe in the doctrine of eternal security. I said, well, I believe in that too. He said, oh, yeah, good. Uh, so I said, uh, what do you believe about uh, believer's baptism? He said, well, I believe that, there's a, uh, that you need to be uh, baptized uh, after you're saved. We have a lot of people in our church that practice infant baptism too, so we do that sometimes. I was just like, hmm, interesting. Uh, I, and we began to go through different things. I said, speaking in tongues. He goes, uh, I personally don't speak in tongues. We have people in our church that do, and, and they should feel free to do that because it's a non-denominational church. Whatever they decide to do, they, sh- they should do. Good. Um, what do you believe about... Uh, started going down a list of things and basically it was like, well, I believe this, but our church kind of does whatever they want it to do. And, and I got down to the end of it and I realized, you guys don't believe in anything. It's kind of a hodgepodge of this and that and people can do whatever they want. And, uh, you know, some people are, are, are in this congregation probably aren't even saved. Um, and so I began to realize really quickly that we need to agree on certain doctrinal truths. And doctrine is one of the things that makes us stronger. One of the things I love about Huikala Baptist Church is a lot of people that come to Huikala don't come because it's a Baptist church, uh, which I think is great. Uh, because when if I were looking for a church on the mainland, first place I would look, Baptist church. Are they Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Baptist church? That's what I would look for. Uh, if I couldn't find a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Baptist church in my area, I'd look for another church that preaches the Bible and believes uh, what the Bible says as far as doctrine is concerned. Look for a doctrinally solid church. Sometimes when people come to our church, they say, hey, you know, how'd you find our church? I was driving by, and I thought it was a really cool-looking church, so I came. Okay. Now, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad we've got a really cool-looking church in your estimation, but that's a very shallow reason to choose a church. But I'm glad that you're here, and I want to talk to you about Jesus. If that's the hook we've got to get to, to pull people in, I guess I'm okay with that for a minute. But you can't stay here because we're a really cool-looking church. If people come, I came because it's the closest church to my house. Again, terrible reason for coming here. I'm glad you're here. I hope that you stay. But I want to teach you what it means to be a Bible-believing Christian. Because doctrine is the glue that holds our church together. When folks leave uh, to go to the mainland, I always encourage them, find a strong Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church in your area. And sometimes people say, oh, somebody recommended this church. Uh, I was talking with some folks this morning. They said, somebody recommended the church where we're going. I went to the website and I have a female pastor and I just, um, not going to be a fit for us. I look at that and said, man, bummer. Uh, let's find another place. I'd looked for, uh, for Carol for a church. And um, there's a, a large Baptist church in, in the town where she's uh, going to college at. I looked at it. The very first thing I looked, female pastor. I go to their, like, wow. Okay, and I go to their preaching page and they have sermons by all of the preachers who have preached in the past. 100% female. I mean, you know, look at the things that they preached about, all social issues. And I was just like, good grief. And it was a Baptist church. And I thought to myself, you are not a historical Baptist church by any definition of the word whatsoever. How would somebody know that? Knowing good doctrine will help you do that. And for people that might be listening online or, or might be confused about what I'm talking about here, the Bible says that in uh, 2 Timothy that, God, that uh, Paul doesn't want a woman to have authority over a man. Paul speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Suffer not a woman to teach or have usurp authority over a man. 
Uh, it goes on uh, there to give the qualifications of a pastor. You know, a pastor is a husband of one wife. Very clear. Um, do I think that women can preach? Uh, from a uh, skill perspective, man, there are women that are far better orators than I are. I am uh, that I are. Uh, <laughs> case in point. Case in point. Do they have biblical authority? The answer to that is definitely no. Simple as that. So again, are we are we biblicists? I would say yes to that. And so when we're looking for other churches, we want to look for a doctrine, a strong doctrine. Uh, doctrine is the glue that holds our church together uh, and any good church as well. While the gospel is an offensive message, we must be careful never to add unnecessary offense to the message. I've been guilty of this before. I've been guilty of being, um, I'll just confess it to you, proud, prideful, proud, and giving a gospel presentation to somebody. I was talking to a Mormon guy one time, and I said, do you really believe that an angel showed up and wrote on golden tablets out in the middle of the forest, and this guy took the golden tablets and put them on his shoulder and ran out of the forest and had to use a magic hat to read the tablets? Is that what you're telling me? You really believe that? You look at that and you go, that sounds preposterous. But you know what I'd just done? I'd mocked his faith. I'd mocked his background. I'd mocked his family and his family's faith. And he had no desire to hear any biblical truth whatsoever. He's not going to hear it. Why? Because I was so proud in my presentation. I'd added an offense to the gospel that didn't need to be there. The gospel already is offensive. You've broken God's law. You're going to die. You're going to spend eternity separated from God in hell unless you repent. That's an offensive message. When we add mockery, snide jokes, and uh, pot shots to the gospel, we're adding a fence where it's not even necessary. You don't even have to go there. Oftentimes when I'm talking to people, I will commend them for being a person of faith. Man, I'm, I'm glad that you have some level of faith. I'm glad that you believe in God. That's important. That's the starting point for everything that we believe about the Bible is the fact that we believe in God and you believe in God. I'm really thankful for that. Now, never mind the fact that it's a different God that they believe in. Never mind the fact that the book that they put their faith in is not the word of God. Never mind the fact uh, that they have everything messed up from that point forward. I commend them for having faith in something. So don't be offensive with an already offensive message. It won't be received well. Jesus had every opportunity to put people in their place or to call them out or to make a spectacle of them or mock them or make fun of them. He never did. He always met them with compassion where they were at. Again, I've mentioned multiple times the, the, on Pensacola Street, there's a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall and to see the people filling up their briefcases with a false doctrine and a false gospel and knowing that those leaflets are going out into our community breaks my heart every time I go past it. But I pray for them, and I pray that the false witness that they have in our community would be stopped, and I pray that the gospel would overpower that. But here's the tough part about that. Those folks are going out probably by the dozens, I don't know, probably 50, 60, 75 people every single week. We have community outreach here, and we have six people show up. It's hard. We have the truth, why aren't we out? We have the truth, why aren't we sharing? I'm not saying because you don't show up on Saturday mornings at 9.30, you're a bad Christian or you're not part of the gospel. I'm saying, are you doing it throughout the week? You don't have to wait till 9.30 on a Saturday morning to, to share the gospel. You don't have to wait till 9.30 on a Saturday morning to take a, a flyer to your neighbor. But are we doing it? Are we getting it done? So we have to, to take great care with the message that we have. We're stewards of it. 
And Paul said, hey, are you guys offended just because I told you the truth? Paul wasn't adding any offense to the message, but it was already offensive. You see, for a true disciple of Jesus, the gospel will have ramifications for our personal relationships. True, committed follower of Jesus, this is going to change our personal relationships. When I got serious about walking with Jesus, I had to say to some friends that I was hanging out with and spending time with at the time, hey, it's not you, it's me, but I can't spend time like this any longer. My priorities had gotten out of whack and I was, I put too much importance on things that really had no eternal significance. And I have to apologize. I'm just gonna have to take a step back in our friendship and relationship and spending time together. I just can't because I got other priorities. I had some people who said, man, go for you. You know, happy for you. I had some people who said, oh, you're one of those. Think you're better than us. No, nope, not, not the case at all. But a faith that has no practical ramifications in our life is probably not a real serious faith. You're gonna lose friendships. People are gonna think that you're, you're better than them. We've had family members that have said to us, oh, you think you're better than me? Fine. Take you and your religion and, and, and take a hike. We have family members that don't want anything to do with us because we've decided to be committed Christians. We have people that we thought were friends that don't speak to us any longer because we're committed Christians. Are you willing to pay that kind of price for the gospel? Have you thought about that? Am I really really willing to be true to what I believe even if it costs me friendships, relationships, what people think of me? Do I need to be popular? Because let me just tell you this, being a sold out disciple of Jesus is not a popular thing. Are you willing to pay the price? I want to say the answer is yes. I want you to say the answer is yes, but only you can make that decision. But just know Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting you guys straight. I'm telling you the truth. You got the gospel mixed up. I'm trying to set you in line. Am I your enemy now? Now, there was a time where we were really close friends and because I've told you the truth, now I've become your adversary. It shouldn't be the case at all. But again, Jesus says he didn't come to bring peace, he came to bring a sword. And Jesus even said, this is gonna divide people in their own families because the gospel is a divisive message but we have to stay true to it. And again, we don't need to add division where it doesn't need to be but we need to be willing to pay the price to be a dedicated Christian Again, I'm not advocating any type of cult-like mentality. Paul goes on to, I say that in verse number, um, let me see, uh, 17. They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. They're trying to get you over to themselves and cut you off from the truth and cut you off from other people so that they can be lifted up, so that they can be somebody. And again, any religion that tells you you need to cut off your relationships with everybody on the outside is not a religion, it's a cult not what we're advocating here. I'm just gonna put a layer of insulation around me as far as who's allowed to influence me. I'm not gonna allow people that don't believe my faith to have an influence in my life. They don't, you don't get a say. I'm not gonna allow people that don't hold the same values that I hold to have a say in my life and what's right and what's wrong. I'm gonna allow that space for close spiritual mentors and advisors. Paul says passion and zeal are good, but they're only as good as the object of our passion and zeal. Again, verse number 18, he says, but it's good to be zealously affected 
always in a good thing and not only when I'm present with you. Hey, passion and zeal are great. What are you passionate and zealous about? These folks were passionate and zealous about the law. He's like, no, 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 you're way too fired up about the wrong thing. It's not about the law. It's not about circumcision. It's not about days and feasts and weeks and, and things along those lines. It's about Jesus. And it's a good thing that you're passionate, but you need to be passionate about the right things. Many times Christians can fall into the same trap too or passionate about all the things that don't matter. I won't say never, but uh, I can't imagine a day that we would have like a church softball league because a lot of times people get super fired up about church softball, but they're not very fired up about the gospel. Misplaced priorities. I was encouraged. We had 15 guys show up at 7 a.m. yesterday to pray for a revival. That encouraged my heart. There's been times before where I think in the history of our church, there would have been times where if we got guys together for a hike at 7 a.m., we would have had 20 guys for a hike. We would have had about three guys for prayer. I was encouraged yesterday we had 15 guys for prayer. It's a good thing. But I don't want to be zealous about the things that don't matter. But I want to be passionate about the gospel because it matters. It's eternal. It's of great significance. Final thoughts tonight, we're done. First of all, we must stand rooted in the Bible. Simple as that. The Bible has the final say, period, always. I'm gonna let the Bible guide my life in every way, firmly rooted. Here's a true test of whether or not you really believe what you say you believe. Will you follow the Bible when it contradicts what you wanna do? That's the true test. It's easy to follow God's word when it says exactly what you want it to say. What about when the Bible says to be patient in suffering? Hmm. I don't want to follow that part of the Bible. I want God to hurry up and get it over with. What about when God says to give grace to others? I don't want to give grace to others. I want to give people what they deserve. Are you willing to follow the Bible even when it contradicts what you want to do? Next, we must speak the truth, but we must speak it in love. hey, Bob, I really, I think a lot of you, and I appreciate everything you've done for me and the time we've been working together. I really look up to you a lot in so many areas. That's why what I'm gonna share with you is really important to me, and you can take it or leave it, honestly, if you want to, Bob, but it's something that's changed my life, and I wanted to share it with you. Um, and I'm a, I'm a Christian, and my faith has impacted every area of my life. And um, I just wanna share with you the most important story that I've ever heard in my entire life. Would you have a minute for me to do that? truth and love. Bob, I don't know why you waste your time going to that church. It's going to send you straight to hell. My goodness, what are you thinking? Only an idiot would go to a church like that. That might be the truth, but it's not love. And here's the, the thing too uh, that's important to understand when we share the gospel is when we share the gospel with people, we must do it in a loving way because they might not get saved that day. It might take them a while. And you're laying a foundation is all you're doing. You're throwing out a seed or you're watering a seed or you're putting a little bit of dirt on top of a seed that's already there. God brings forth the harvest. Next, we must submit our relationships to God. 
Paul, I believe in this case here, his relationships that he had with the churches at Galatia, I think he had submitted those to God. Hey, there was a time where you guys would have given your, given your eyes for me. There was a time where you guys had such joy in our relationship and now I've become your enemy. I didn't do anything wrong. And if you're upset with that, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna tell you the truth. And if it was divisive, it just had to be divisive. But Paul would let them know, I loved you. I was there for you. I want the best for you. I'm concerned for you. This next one's really important. We must seek to leave the door open for others to explore Jesus. You see, if you share the gospel in your flesh, if you do as I've done and shared it with great pride and pot shots and witty things that you thought of in the moment, not only are you pushing people away from Jesus, you're making it more difficult for the next person that comes behind you. I've heard this before. There's a guy I used to work with, arrogant jerk, thought he was better than everybody else, loved to put everybody else down. I remember that. Man, I've never forgotten that. And you know what? You just make it harder for everybody else. Know this. If someone doesn't accept Jesus today, by the grace of God, they'll have another chance in a week or two weeks or two years or 20 years. Don't mess it up for the next person. There's somebody coming behind you. Have a good testimony. When I share the gospel with people, I'm also very clear. Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm not trying to scare you or, or, or cause you to make any decisions that you don't want to make, but I want you to know that if you die before putting your faith and trust in Christ, you'll spend eternity separated from God and there's no second chances there. I just want to let you know that because I care about you. You know what that's doing? Leaving the door open for another day. Either me or somebody else that comes behind me. Well, brother, you walk out on that sidewalk and you get hit by a bus, I'm telling you, you're a split hell wide open. True statement. Terrible way to say it. That doesn't leave a lot of doors open left at that point. So again, great care. It's an offensive message. Don't add offense to it. Final thought. We must be passionate about our faith. Gotta be. It's, um, it's disheartening on so many levels to be out on community outreach on Saturdays and to be in a neighborhood where there's Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, it's disheartening on so many levels because no matter where we go, they're always out, always. But it's tough to watch them too because they have their briefcase and they're walking really slow, really slow, really slow. They'll open up a gate really slow. They'll walk through it. You know why? They're actually counting the time that they're out. They're on, a, they're on the clock. <laughs> and they can make it quick and they can make it uh, uh, long, but they're just putting time. They're punching a clock. They're not passionate about what they believe. Have you ever see, seen them stand on the, the corner of K and Moku? They're standing there with their little display. They're chit-chat, talking with each other. They're not trying to strike up conversation with anybody. You know why? Because they're not passionate about what they believe in. They're just putting their time in, hoping that they'll go to heaven one day. It's, it's disheartening. Man, when I'm out on community outreach, and when you are too, when you're, man, I hope there's a pep in your step. Hey, I got work to do. I'm working for Jesus today. I got stuff I got to get done got to hit as many doors in this neighborhood as I can in the next 30 minutes. I got to find guys out watering their lawn and tell them how awesome their grass is so that I can try to talk to them about Jesus. If I see a car cover over a car, I'm going to ask them, hey, what's under the car cover? I'm a car guy. I'm going to know what's under there. 
Oh, I just got a 73 MG. No way. My dad had an MG when I was a kid. It was like the Miata before there was a Miata, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, we begin to talk about that. Hey, how long have you lived in this neighborhood? I lived here 20 years. No way. Is there a church here in this neighborhood that you go to? Guess what? I just turned the conversation to the gospel. Getting around to that. Why? I'm passionate about it. I've committed my life to the message of the gospel. You say, man, well, God's never called me to be a pastor. <laughs> I committed my life to the gospel before I was a pastor. My life is all about Jesus, every single thing under the sun, all about him. Are you passionate about your faith? And some people, you ask them about football, they'll talk all day long about their fantasy draft and who their QB was and how he got injured last year, but he's going to make it back this year, how many passing yards he had. Passionate about it, fired up about it. Man, there's people you talk to about uh, gardening. Man, they'll talk all day about it, what they put, what soil they got. People talk about politics. Man, they want to talk about who did this and the Iowa caucuses and this swing state over there and how they're going to need to get this state if they're going to want to do Hey, passionate about it. And that's good. I'm glad you're passionate about something. Are you passionate about the gospel? If people ask you, hey, what's that sticker that you got on your, your hydro flask? What's that about? Are you, are you fired up? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you all about it. I love it when I wear one of our new core value shirts that we have here, Love, Pray, Give, Serve, Invest. Every, every single time I've ever worn a T-shirt with our core values on it, every single time somebody stopped me and asked me about it, every single time. Oh, you don't even know what you've done. <laughs> hey, I just so happened to have an invitation to our church in my shirt pocket. Let me give you one of these. We meet over by Alamona Center at 10 a.m. We'd love to have you as our guest. If you show up, look for me because I'm going to be looking for you this Sunday. <laughs> well, I've, I've got to work on Sunday mornings. No sweat. Did you know that on the back here it talks about how you can know for sure when you die you're on your way to heaven? It's the most important thing you'll ever read in your entire life. And we call it the gospel, which means good news. <laughs> you know why? Because I'm fired up about it. I keep copies of Paid in Full in my car. If I'm talking to somebody and they, they want to know more about Jesus, I got a book that I can give them. Why? Because it's what life, life's all about. This is it. Paul was passionate about the gospel. It's good that you're passionate about things, but you're passionate about the wrong things. Get fired up about the gospel. Get fired up about your faith. And some of you, there was a time in your life where you were super fired up about your faith, but lately it's just like, eh. That's what revival's about. And I'm praying for a revival spirit in our church. We were studying through the book of Acts on Wednesday night, and I love what uh, we looked at this passing, I think it's Acts chapter 6, uh, where they, they've been beaten, uh, they've gone out in the courtyard, they're still preaching. And Gamaliel said, hey, guys, just let them be because if it's not of God, it's all going to fall apart anyways. But it's of, if it's of God, you couldn't stop it if you wanted to. And I'm praying that God would do that in our church. Do something that we couldn't stop it if we wanted to. But if we're just throwing some dates on a calendar and showing up and singing some songs and praying for a minute and going home, it's all going to fall apart anyways. It's fine. If it's of God, nobody can stop it. That's what I pray for, and I hope you'll pray for it as well. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. 
You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.